same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of God. Please join me in silent prayer and self-reflection. Praise be to the opportunity the Trinity offers by guiding our way along our life walk here. We are able to rescind her all as we trust and obey. Remembering always that God operates at all times with the long view <clears throat> of our existence here and beyond with his unconditional love offering the unnecessity of personal fear. For his son Jesus reminds us that the father tells us, quote, give you praise in all circumstances, which can be difficult in the turmoil, uncertainty, and seeming chaos that is our world here in our walk today. We close in prayer with Psalm 139, 23, 24. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any of offensive way in me, and lead me into the way everlasting. And we all say, Amen. Thank you. Cheat sheet here so I can pronounce all these names. And I missed two of them. <laughs> well, thank you. You did great anyways. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, now I've got to be a little slow here. You're fine. Take your time. All right. Now, there's a lot in that passage, isn't there? There's a lot of different sermons I could preach out of that one passage, but I had to choose. I only get one today. Um, let's, let, let's, let's go back a little bit and catch up where we were so we all remember we're on the same page. Paul and Barnabas, they finished their first missionary journey. They're going, they've gone out into the, um, the Gentile world, speaking first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And they've had a run of um, interesting situations, uh, to say the least, as, you know, people begin to try to stone them, and, you know, Paul's been killed and, you know, um, left for dead. And, um, so they finished their first missionary journey, and, um, and they've traveled back to Antioch to defend their missionary, uh, and the Gentiles being, remember last week we talked about the Gentiles being... Um, Saved through faith, not by becoming Jews first. And, um, and Paul and Barnabas, they're actually beginning to leave for their second missionary journey. And I've skipped over this in the reading, and I just lost that button. <laughs> ah, I knew it was loose. All right, you'll have to put up with my missing button. So as Paul and Barnabas uh, prepare to leave on their second um uh, missionary journey, there's um, a small issue that arises that you can read on your own. Um, Barnabas wants to bring John Mark with them. Now, if you remember, John Mark was the guy who left them during their first missionary journey, and Paul does not want to bring him. This causes a bit of a rift between Paul and Barnabas, and they go their separate ways on two different missionary journeys. Barnabas takes John Mark and goes one way, and Paul 
will take Silas and Timothy with him a different direction. Um, so I don't know what the rift was about, why John Mark left the first time. But we do know that it was serious enough that Paul didn't want to bring him the second time. But we know that God uses this to spread his message in two different directions. Now we stick kind of with Paul on this one. That's what uh, Luke does. He, he sticks with one guy. And, um, and so when we read this, they're on their secondary, uh, their second missionary journey, traveling through the, uh, the Galatian area. And Paul is a man who's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He begins his missionary uh, journey by revisiting the churches of uh, Derbe and Listeria and Ikeum and, and all those other names that are really hard to pronounce. Um, because he, he's planning on following the um, uh, imperial road. I almost pronounced it in Latin. Um, the Imperial Road, the, this main road that travels there, and it's the road leading westward to the coastal city and the capital of the Roman province in Asia, Turkey region. And so they're making their way on this Imperial Road, and um, in the heat of the moment, it says that they, they, the Holy Spirit keeps them from entering into Asia, so they travel through the region of Phygeria and Galatia. So that's where they're at right now. Um, they will go from there. I'm kind of giving you a rundown of the missionary journey. They'll go from there to Greece. Uh, the main mission in Greece will take place in Philippi. Now, when they're in Philippi, which is where we are in this passage, it says they come to the royal, uh, it says, and from there to Philippi, which, led, which is the leading city of that district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. So they're in Philippi, and according to Jewish custom, tradition at that time, a congregation of um, Ten men was needed to start a synagogue. Okay? So you had a ten men, ten heads of the household to start a synagogue or a church. As they are going through this, they come to a, women, a group of women who are meeting. Which means they're meeting by the open sky near a river or sea which means that there's not 10 men in the area that are Jewish to have a synagogue. That's what that means when he says they come across this. There's not even 10 men who are Jewish to meet that. So, But the women are meeting. So on the Sabbath, he, uh, Paul and his companions, they walk outside the city in search of a Jewish place of prayer. They're looking for where the women meet because there's not 10 Enough, not enough people for a, a synagogue. They're not skipping church. <laughs> so we're going to meet together on the Sabbath, which would be Saturday, um, Friday night, Saturday morning. We're not going to skip church. We're going to go. So they start going out, and they, they head 
uh, towards the river, because that's where traditionally it would have been held, is towards the river. And about a mile and a half west of the city, they find some when women gathered. And they would be gathered to recite Shema together, to read and discuss what, they re- what they've read in the Bible, um, possibly hearing from Jewish traveling teachers like Paul who would be looking for a place to worship for Bible study. And he comes across this weaver with him and he sits down with him and he begins to speak with him. And one of the women from um, Thyatira, a city, uh, western Asian, Asia Minor, is um, uh, formerly uh, the kingdom of Lydia. Um, she's called Lydia or Lydian. It might actually be a title. She's the Lydian. She's the one from Lydia. And um, this is a place famous for making purple dyes, which means she's most likely a, um, an artisan with purple dyes that were very wealthy at the time. So she's probably a very wealthy woman. Um, she will actually help on the missions of Paul. And Paul will mention her in several of her letters as she supports him. So she speaks, she's spoken of as a God-fearer and having received instructions at a synagogue. And she brings her interest in Judaism to to Philippi and she listens to God, it says, with her open heart. And she becomes what we call today a Christian. She accepts the Messiah as the truth, Jesus as the Messiah. Um, Her and her household were baptized So this will actually begin, this little group of women who are meeting outside the city will actually begin Paul's most loved congregation, the Church of Philippi, which you can read about in Philippians. And it would not have started if if, if Paul had not said, you know what, we're going to break from where we were planning on going. Because remember where they're heading, right? They're heading, we're going right to the capital. And God said, no, I need you to go here to a little town that doesn't have a synagogue and go a mile and a half. How many of you guys are going to willing to walk a mile and a half to church? Some of us can't drive a mile and a half to church. You're going to walk a mile and a half to church. This little church, lots of little people, these women are going to be a major supporter of this church. And it starts because he follows the Spirit. Of course, as I prepared my sermon, it got me thinking about what does it mean to follow the Spirit? Isn't that one of those, one of those questions we ask ourselves, <laughs> even seasoned Christians ask ourselves, what does it mean to follow the Spirit? How can I know if I'm following the Spirit? I mean, because we know the Holy Spirit is in us, guiding us, directing us. How can we know? That's a very good question. And I think as I was preparing this, there's only one question I can actually only begin to answer. Um, In 
apart because there is no set rules. One, two, three, you know, that's not how life works, is it? We've tried that path in the past. People have made out rules. One, two, three, it doesn't work. Life is too messy for that. When we speak of God's will, the will of God, we often speak of big things. But I think God is concerned with the little things as well. He, he teaches us of morality. Jesus teaches us of lack, you know, Jesus says if we lack wisdom, just ask for it. God wants us to live a holy life because we have the Savior, Holy Spirit, living within us. Uh, Ryan Ingram has a nice quote. He says, when it comes to discovering our calling, we tend to focus on the 10% that is unique to each of us. But 90% of it is laid out in the Scriptures. And applies to every one of us. Come to Jesus, live faithfully, and enjoy community. That's what it comes down to. That's 90% of our calling. So when you're struggling with, what do I do with that 10% that's unique to you, we can always fall back on 90% of it is just living life for God. Every day. Daily. What a blessing that is, that it's not some kind of mystery that we have to try to, to, to figure things out. We not, you know, he's not trying to trick us. God's not trying to trick you. He's not saying, well, if you really knew me, you'd follow this path, but I'm going to put some bushes there so you can't see it. That's not what God does. He says, here's the scriptures. Here's what I want you to do. Follow this. What a blessing that is. And yes, there's 10% of it that is important to just you. And that calling, God gives us gifts, which he's laid out in the scriptures as well. And he says, I want you to use it according to your gifts. I want you to use it in this special way. That's 10% of our calling. Most of our calling is just live life for God every day. That gives us a lot of, doesn't that take some weight off your shoulders? I don't have to try to figure out it all right now. I can just, it's just follow God. Just come to Jesus, live faithfully, and enjoy community. There you go. If you're doing that, that's 90% of what you're supposed to be doing. That's easy. Most time. <laughs> As I was reading, I thought back on something that I read back in, in my seminary days. And I wish I could remember where I got it. So I'm not going to give credit to where credit is due. Because I don't remember where I got it from. So if you happen to know this list, and you give me, you know, so I can give person credit, I'd love that. But uh, um, discerning the call, there are seven actually major calls on a person's life that are laid out in the scriptures. The number one is salvation. Every one of us has been called to salvation. Jesus said, I come to seek and to save the lost. Just come to save you. 
That's why he came. And it's a, it's a call that is open for everyone. We can't save ourselves. But sinner prayer doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. The Holy Spirit saves you. We just let him save. We, just, we accept him, that we need him. That's all there is to it. We accept him, believe in him with our hearts. Bible says what? Believe in your hearts. Confess with your mouth, you will be saved. But it also says not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be saved. Because you can say, Lord, Lord, and not actually believe in him. Salvation. Fellowship with Christ. The second one is call to holiness. As you have been saved, not to save you, but because of your salvation, we've been called to be holy. We become worthy. If God is going to live within you, that's what the Bible says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. If you are going to have the Holy Spirit in you, you are called to holiness. Because of your salvation. And this, this call to, to sanctification is something that we don't just say, well, okay, now I'm holy. It's a process that we go through as we become more and more like Christ. As we walk with him as his disciples, we become closer and closer to him, closer and closer to getting it right, and sometimes still messing up because we're humans, right? We're less than human. We walk with him, and we go through this process of sanctification, which is a big word that means becoming more and more holy. And so those sins that you, when you first were became a Christian shouldn't still be the same sins you're working on because you're becoming more and more holy. That doesn't mean you don't have a whole new, new set you're not working on. But they shouldn't be the same ones because you're becoming more and more holy. As we're called to holiness, because of God living in us, he's also called us to serve. And that's for different levels at different times in our lives according to the gifts that he's given you because we all have different gifts. If you do not know your spiritual gifts, I preached a sermon on those. You can find them online. Um, Chip Ingram has a wonderful one on that called Divine Design if you want to find that as well. Um, And just start with Romans 12. There's a good list right there. What's your gift? And as we're called to serve, you know, the Bible also tells us if you're not feeling like you're fed enough, it's often because we're not serving enough. And it's not just something that happens part of your life. Yes, it may shift. This part of your life you're serving in this way, and this part of your life you're serving in this way. But it's not something you say, well, I, you know, I, I'm done serving because I'm uh, 102. As long as you're this side of your grave, God's called you to serve him um, in one way or the other. Called to separation. We're all called, because of Christ living us, we're called to not be of this world. That does not mean you all of a sudden become an alien. It means... That you are called to live differently than the world says, okay. You'll see the world differently. 
you'll respond to it differently because he's making you more and more like him. So things that they say sound good to them, but it won't make sense to you, and you won't make sense to them because you're not of this world. Your home is not here. Your home is somewhere else. Call to sonship or childhood of God. I like this one. You have been called to be the adopted child of God. Which means, which means you have the authority of being his child. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And he laid out mankind and he set them apart in the, uh, this in the garden to be his co-heirs, to rule with him. Not to become gods, but to rule with him. And he says, as you become back into the family through the blood of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit living in you, you're reclaiming that, or supposed to be reclaiming that authority. That we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Living with him in the power of Christ. What a beautiful calling that is. Call to subjugation. And that one sounds bad because we don't like that word submit. Um, we struggle with that word. Um, the next two one are kind of hard for our mentality. Uh, subjugation, we definitely don't like that word. No one likes to be submissive. But we're under the rule of God. That's all it means. Is we're under the rule of God. We've been called to say... God, you are my king. You are my Lord. So therefore, where you say, go, I will go. And when you say, stop, I will stop. And the next one is called the suffering. Now, this one is one we definitely like. And some people want it more than others. And some people actually try to seek it. Like, I'm suffering. Everyone, I'm suffering. This doesn't mean every single person will suffer for Christ. That's not what this means. It means we as a community, we as a, uh, as a the family of God, nation, countrywide, worldwide, there will be people that suffer for their faith. And we will join in on their suffering. Now, when he says, rejoice in your suffering, that does not mean rejoice the fact that you were raped. That's not what it's saying. Yes, rape can lead to stronger in faith or it can totally destroy you. Or um, We shouldn't be rejoicing in that as a, as a community. But what it's saying is that we rejoice because we know that God is with us through it all. And joy is not happiness. Those two things are not the same. I'll preach another sermon on that another day. That's not the same. Um. Physical suffering, emotional suffering, when you're persecuted, rejoice. So there's a call to suffering. He didn't say if you're suffering, he says when you're suffering. And he's speaking to the, the, the Christian group as a whole, when you, when you suffer. And of course, reality is we're all going to suffer at some level in our lives. And God's going to walk right beside us the whole way. He doesn't say he's going to take it away. He doesn't say he's going to make it not exist. If you're really following me, you're never going to suffer. That's not what the Bible says. Actually, he called us to suffer. Reality is we're living in a corrupt and fallen world, and we've been called to bring heaven into it, but we're living in hell. 
God's love language, is, if you will, is, is, is obedience. He doesn't want to try to trick you. He just wants you to live for him. Day by day, worshiping him, doing the little things. And those big things will come into place if we worship him day by day. And that's what it means to follow the Holy Spirit. It means just day by day being open to God. And then as you follow him in the little things, he's going to become, he's going to show you those big things that are, that are part of you. Where am I supposed to lead? What am I supposed to do? We just day by day keep plugging along. And he's going to show you those big things. And sometimes we get our ideas in our head where this is where you're heading. And he needed Paul to have this big idea. I need you to head on this road, heading for this way, because he needed him close. So then he says, now it's time to move this way. He was ready. So sometimes God can shift your perspective because he wants you along a path. God's call. Now, it can be very surprising <laughs> because he'll shift our perspective. And he's not going to waste anything from your past. So if you've got a great past or a lousy past, he ain't going to waste it. Because God will be glorified. But he delights. This is one thing the Bible says. That he delights in turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. It's not about merit. It's not about being good enough or, or falling. It's just about living for God day by day. And when your life is built upon these stepping stones, obedience of, uh, you know, your, your, your specific calling is going to come into focus. So we start by coming to Jesus and being faithful to the little things. And we wait for direction. And while we wait, we get to experience the fellowship with brothers and sisters who speak the truth into your life. What a blessing that is. And so that's what it means to follow the will of the Spirit. It's not anything mystical. You don't have to perform any special rituals. You don't have to get down there and paint a, a circle on the ground and sit and pray for an hour and a half each day. Just read your Bible, see what it says for you or your life, and walk. And then those big things will come into focus. I guess as we get to our next step, the question is, are you being faithful to your callings? Are you being faithful to the calling of sonship? Are you being faithful to the calling of Jesus Christ? Are you following the Holy Spirit to the best of your ability as a day-to-day for using the gifts that he's given you. If he's given you the gift of teaching, are you teaching? Now, that doesn't mean you have to be up here teaching. It means you could be teaching, you know, your neighbor next door. Do you have friends in Christ? Or are you one of those sour people that doesn't really like anyone, but you're always the victim? I've met a few of those people. No one likes me, you know, because you're not very likable. Um, (laughs) 
Are you spending time with God? Are you fasting? That's one of those scary words, right? And I'm not talking about intermittent fasting for losing weight. That's different. Our calling is day by day. And he'll change your life forever. Because he makes you the ordinary you and your ordinary day extraordinary. Father God, I praise you today, Lord. I thank you for this wonderful gift of just being able to follow you day by day. Thank you for the gift that 90% of our, our calling is just the day by day. Lord, I pray for that 10% that always eludes us and, and makes us question and changes our lives forever. Lord, give us the strength to say, okay, I'm going to follow you when you say, I'm going to go. Thank you for those who have decided to follow you for their, in their life. Help us to worship you. Help us to heal where we've hurt. Help us to heal when we've hurt others. Grow us and change us as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise team, why don't you come? We're going to move into a time of invitation. A time in which... <laughs> Oh, good. What a blessing. You know, I was, as I, I was thinking about that passage, there's so many things I could preach on, but I can only choose one because um, I'm only going to do one sermon today. So I, I decided only one sermon. All right, so let's, let's catch up where we're at. We're in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas have just finished their first missionary journey. Remember that one? where they went and they went to Cyprus and they went up into Asia and they uh, were in modern-day Turkey and they uh, ran into some trouble and along the way someone tried to kill them. They fled there. They followed them. They actually did stone Paul, left him for dead. They went immediately to all the other churches to make sure they were okay. Then they went home. Then they had the dealing with... Uh, the, the church in Jerusalem was saying, you, do we want to make people become Jewish first before the Gentiles can join the, the church? Or do we just make the, let them worship Christ without becoming Jewish first? And they decided on letting them join. Without, aren't you glad? You do not have to go through all that stuff to become Jewish before you can become a worshiper of Jesus. Um, So then it comes time for Paul and Barnabas to set out on their second missionary journey. And Paul and Barnabas begin to argue. Um, Barnabas wants to bring John Mark with them. Now John Mark on the first missionary journey had left for whatever reason. And we're not told why he left, but just that Paul wasn't happy about it. And Barnabas wants to bring John Mark the second time on the second missionary journey and Paul said, I ain't having it. And they end up splitting paths. They end up separating. Barnabas and Paul head to Cy uh, uh, Cyprus. And, um, I mean, it's Barnabas and John Mark, sorry. And Paul and um, Silas and Timothy uh, will travel on along that route we told today. Um, was known as the Imperial Road. And um, 
I don't know what the argument was, but apparently it was big enough that they, they split up. But I like how God uses it to send missionaries out in both directions. <laughs> so you know what? Let's just go ahead and send you out anyways. And that's okay. <coughs> so while they're on their second missionary journey, um, they've, they've uh, traveled through all those, ch- those places that uh, Ben so wonderfully named, and most of us are like, um, that place. And, um, and, and so they're traveling along the Imperial Road, which was a road that led to the capital of the province, the capital region of the promise. Um, and they're heading into Asia. But the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul and says, you're heading down this path, and I need you to head down this path until a certain point. And, and they're about to enter Asia, and the Holy Spirit says, stop. I don't want you to go there. I want you to head this way. I want you to go a different direction. Different than he thought. His plan was, we're going into Asia. And the Holy Spirit said, no. Mm, isn't that the way God's funny that way, right? <laughs> we have a plan, right? And God says, he lets you go of your plan until it says, stop. And if you're in, got the will of the Holy Spirit, you listen to him. I need you to go this way. And so he's heading down. And they set sail, and they, they're in Greece, and they, they, they go to a place in Philippi, and um, it comes time for the Sabbath. And what does Paul always do at the Sabbath? He goes to church. It's the synagogue. He goes to synagogue, and he's, he's headed, looking for the synagogue, and apparently Philippi doesn't have enough people in it Ten men are required to have a synagogue at the time period, according to Jewish custom. They don't have ten men that are worshiping God. So if you don't have ten men that are to make up a synagogue, according to the custom of the time, you would uh, go, uh, a place of prayer was, was instituted. It was a place under the open sky, preferably near a river or the sea. So as we're told in this passage that they're heading towards the river, it's because they know where the place of prayer would be at because there's not a synagogue. And as they're going there, they they meet some women that are gathered there. Now these women would have been gathered there to recite the Shema, which it means to hear, uh, comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with everything you are, the paraphrased version. Um, and they were, but the Shema was something you would repeat quite regularly in your life as a Jewish Jewish person. And uh, so they would gather together. They would gather together to pre, uh, to pray, to fellowship, to read and discuss their Bible. It was a Bible study. And sometimes, because they knew where they were meeting, traveling. Teachers would come through and speak at the place of gathering on the Sabbath. And so Paul comes and his companions, they go probably around a mile and a half walking to the synagogue outside the city to meet with these ladies and he's going to be the guest teacher. Now I love how he walks a mile and a half, you know, 
How many of you guys are willing to walk a mile and a half to get to church? A lot of us don't even want to drive a mile and a half. Right, no, that's just too far. Uh, you know, we're, and so they walk a mile and a half to get to church. And they come and they begin to speak with him. And one of the women there is uh, from Thyatira, a city of Western Asia Minor, formerly the ancient kingdom of Lydia. So she's Lydia or the La- Lydian. She is the Lydian lady. It tells you where she's from. It may have been a title, may have been her name, or it may have just been the title. She's the one from Lydia. One way or the other. But she is a maker of purple dyes, which at the time period, purple was a very sought-after color because of its expense to make. And there's a couple different ways they made purple. The most common one was a she-shell. Say that one ten times fast. Uh, She-shell, there you go, that would make the purple dye. And but what it means that she's a, uh, a, 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 a dealer in purple cloth is that she's a very wealthy lady. That's why it tells you she's a dealer in purple cloth, because she's a very wealthy lady. And so she's most likely carried this, um, this trade from her home to where she's now living in Philippine. Um, she's spoken of as a God-fearer having probably received instruction at a synagogue, and she brings her interest in Judaism. Being a God-fearer means she probably was not born a Jew, but that she was going through the steps to become Jewish. And she was going through all the, 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 all the things you had to do. And so she's going, and, she, and, um, and as she listens, God opens her heart and and she receives the, what we'd call the Christian message. She receives Jesus as the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. And she and the members of her household are baptized. And she opens her house to the missionary party. And, um, and so begins the church at Philippi. This little Bible study turns into the congregation that the book of Philippi talks about being one of his most loved, if not the most loved congregation. And Lydia will be spoken of often as being a supporter of Paul's missionaries. She's a wealthy woman. She's a supporter of him financially. And it all happens because Paul's heading on one path, and being attuned with the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit says, stop, I need to go this way. I'm going to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to lead you to a place where there's not even ten men to have a, 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 a synagogue, and you're going to start a powerful church. Oh, that is God moving. But as I thought about this, I thought, what does it mean for us to listen to the Holy Spirit? Because it's one thing for us to read about Paul, you're right. I mean, he's Paul. Uh, you know, arguably 13 books of the Bible are written by the man. It's Paul. Well, what does it mean for me? I'm not Paul. What does it mean for you? What do we say when it means we need to listen to the Holy Spirit? That's a very good question. 
And I don't know if I can fully answer it today, but I'm not, this is what we should talk about today. This is the, the thing that we need to focus in as we read this passage. And I thought, you know, I think the first thing we need to do, be doing is willing to hear the will of the Spirit. Isn't that step one, right? Be willing to hear it. You know, men aren't the only ones with selective hearing. <laughs> Ladies, it's not just your husband. It's a human condition. <laughs> if we're not wanting to hear something, we're not going to hear it. That's just reality. But I think when we think of what's God's will for my life or for my next steps or for my next, I think sometimes we think we make it bigger than it needs to be because we think God's only concerned with the big ideas. In truth, God is concerned with the little things in your life. Uh, Ryan Ingram which is a pastor out of California. And I like this quote. He says, he says when it comes to, discovering, uh, to, to uh, discovering our calling, we tend to focus on the 10% that is unique to each and every one of us. But 90% of our calling is clear in the scriptures and applies to everyone. Come to Jesus, live faithfully, and enjoy the communion. And that's it. And I think about that. I think, isn't that the truth? The Bible lays out... 90% of what we're supposed to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis, and we get caught up in the 10%. And say, I don't know what God's telling me to do. Yes, you do. 90% of what God's telling you to do is laid out day by day. And doesn't that take some weight off your shoulders? It doesn't say, oh, you need to discover the will of God every day and travel this. 90% of it is just living with God. It says, you know, like Ryan said, come to Jesus, live faithfully, enjoy the community every day. What a relief that is. I don't have to say that I, you know, I have no idea what Jesus wants for me in life. Yes, you do. 90% is just live life with Jesus. Live life in community. Live faithfully. That's 90% of it. You got that down, you got 90% of your job. And it's daily, just walk with God. How much relief is that in our, in our, oh, I got this. No, it's just walk with God. And as we do this, the rest of the big things come into picture. Paul would not have heard the Holy Spirit saying, stop, don't go into Asia, if he was not doing the 90% with just being faithful. And I think that's where we're at. Most of us are just trying to get the 90% down. And that's what we need to focus on is just getting the 90% down. And then when we're confused, what's our next step? Where do we go from here? The big things in life happen. You hear God speaking. We can fall back and say, okay, if I can just get the next step done, which is live life with God, then that next step, then the big things are going to fall into place. So 
as I was preach, as I was writing this, I was reminded of a um, a list, a seven uh, calls that I, that were listed in the scriptures. Now, this is not original to me, and unfortunately, I can't give credit to where credits due because I don't remember where I got it. So, sorry, whoever I stole this from. Um, tell me, and I'll give you credit. But um, as we look at the scriptures. What is the call? Number one, salvation. Isn't that the call that all of us are called to? God says, I came to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus says. I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's so that all may know me. All may know me. The Bible said, go ye therefore make disciples of all nations. We're called to salvation. We can't save ourselves. We can't do it. He's called us to salvation. The Bible says all we have to do is believe in Him with all that we are and confess it with the mouth and we will be saved. And there will be people out there that say, Lord, Lord, but I did not know you because you didn't actually believe. You don't save yourself. We can't say, well, I, I prayed a prayer or I was baptized and therefore I'm saved. That's not how it works. Those are things we do in response to our salvation. And because we are saved, because Christ has come to die for us, because we accept Him as Lord and Savior, we're called to holiness. The Bible says the, the uh, Holy Spirit comes and makes uh, its home, its temple in you. And if the te- God's going to be living in you, guess what? You got to be holy. You got to be pure. You got to be not, not not worshiping other gods before God. You got to be. You can't have all that junk in you. And so we've been called to holiness. And the great thing about this is this call to holiness is not a you're either are or not. It's a path we walk. That's what discipleship is all about, right? We walk with Christ, so we become more and more. The big word is sanctified sanctification we become more and more like christ as we walk with him and as we walk with him we become more and more holy so as we walk with him, we should find ourselves messing up less not that you're never going to mess up you are less than human after all if you had did not hear my sermon on why we're less than human you can go back and listen to that one but uh um we are, we, we're sinful creatures, and so we're going to mess up. And God has forgiven us for that. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you any less. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any more. But because he's living in you, you are called to walk with him and become better. Better than you were. Better than you are. And so we walk in his path. And we've been called to holiness. And as we've been called to holiness, we've been called to service. And service happens at different levels, at different times in our life, at different degrees. And it doesn't mean you all have to be pastors. That's not what it means. It means we've been called to, to worship God at, 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 uh, full-time, part-time, part of your life. You know, a lot of times when we say, I'm just not being fed, a lot of times it's because we're not serving 
God wants us to be, as some of you have been called to service, volunteer in the church. Some of you have been called to volunteer outside the church. Some of you have served God in the gym where you, where you work out or, or the place where you go to pretend you work out. Or, um, <laughs> service, service to Him. We've also been called to be separate. What does that mean? That does not mean we need to become monks, uh, you know, living in the desert. You don't need to be John the Baptist. It says we're supposed to be in this world, but you are no longer part of it. With God living in you, your thought processes are going to begin to change so that things that the world says don't make sense to you anymore. And you're not going to make sense to them. Because you're not of the same world anymore. And so things on TikTok are really going to be confusing for you. Because they're either going to be doing stuff you don't understand, or they're going to be saying you're doing things they don't understand because you don't think the same anymore. You're not of this world. Your home is not here. Called to sonship. Now, I like this one. This is a childhood of God. You are a child of God. The, the blessing that... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And he put human beings, right? Um, Adam and woman, um, uh, man and, and woman, um, and they become proper names later, uh, Heva, uh, Eve. And, um, sorry, I'm going off the rabbit trail. Anyways, um, they... Uh, they were there, and they were saying, you guys are going to co-rule with me. Does God have to do it that way? No. Did he put us here just to worship him? No. And so the Bible says that we were there to co-rule with him. Not to become gods, but to co-rule with him. No, we done didn't mess that up. And when we call, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it talks about us accepting on that call of sonship, being co-rulers with Jesus. We are living life as co-rulers in Christ. That means we are responsible for the world around us, for the, 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 all of it around us. sonship and guess what this isn't like foster care where you get a trial run and then you get adopted by someone else later this is adoptionhood and like adopted children i don't know if any of you have experience with adopted children we don't trust right away because we've been hurt so many times in the past but god's there to love us and love us when we, when, we, when, we, when we mess up and walk us through it. Because we've been adopted. We're part of the family. And nothing we can do. You didn't save yourself. You can't unsave yourself. Nothing you can do is going to mess that up. His forgiveness is there. 
Now the next two, these ones are probably the ones I get the most kickback on. I don't need emails. Okay. <laughs> Subjugation. This one's one that we have a hard time with, right? None of us like to be submissive. It's not just a woman issue, it's, not, it's, a, it's a, a human being issue. None of us like to be submissive. But we are under the rule, we're subject to the king, which is Lord Jesus. God the Father, through the blood of Jesus Christ, enabled by the Holy Spirit, we are under his kingship. And so we have been called to be so. So we ha- we will. When he says go, we will go. When he says don't, we won't. It's his rule. And this is where a lot of people throughout history have gotten it wrong, right? They say, "I'm going to be the ruler instead of." And a lot of things. You go back and read a lot of bad history. And, but every time we sin, isn't that what we're doing? When Adam and Eve were offered this, this tree in the garden, isn't it about, do you want to follow God's directive and accept His way of saying, this is what's right and wrong, this is, or do you want to have the power yourself? And we've been called to say, I want to give it to you, not to do it myself. Last one. Uh, now, this one... I don't know if I've met a single person that likes this one. <laughs> suffering. The Bible says when you suffer. Now, does that mean everyone in this room will undergo persecution? No. But as a worldwide community, we are being persecuted even today. And all of us will suffer at some levels. Now, does that mean we rejoice in the fact that we were hurt? Of course not. We rejoice in the fact that God can use our hurt his glory does that mean we don't try to stop people from hurting others of course not we want his justice but it does mean we can rejoice in the fact that even though we suffer and God never promises you won't it's not that you weren't good enough following him that you that's why you're suffering that's not how it works he's going to walk with you through it and even though you're hurt and you're broken and maybe you're falling apart and some people will develop PTSD and everything else, that doesn't mean God has left your side, even if you hate him for a while. Because he has called that while we are suffering, he is there with us and we were called to suffer and we will rejoice. In this case, it's mostly referring to persecution. Most of the time when it says call it rejoice in suffering, they're referring to persecution. That's a worldwide group project we're working on. As I think about these calls, I think, you know, God's love language, if you will, is, um, is obedience. Isn't that how we show our love to Him as we obey? But I'm also thankful that this God, He's not trying to trick you. He doesn't throw out, say, well, I want you to follow this path, but I'm going to put some bushes here so you can't see it. So if you really know me, then you're going to go past these bushes. That's not how God works. He says, I want to lay down the path 
that if you follow me in the little things of life, these things to give you life to the fullest, not because he likes rules, but because he knows the negative consequences if you break the rules. If you follow me in the little things, then I'm going to direct you in the big things too. And you'll be able to see him in the big things. So we just walk with him every day. Accomplishing the little things that he puts in your path. Day by day. And then those 10% that's got you so worried will come clear. And it'll come clear a lot of ways because he's already talking to you and things like you know your spiritual gifts. A lot of times he just wants you to use your spiritual gifts. That's the 10%, the, the 10% is I've given you this gift. I want you to use it and apply it to this particular situation that you find yourself in. If you do not know your spiritual gift, um, I preached on it a while back ago. You can go find those in the archives. Um, if you want a Bible study, uh, Chip Ingram does a great one called Your Divine Design. That's a good one. Um, just start with Romans 12. There's a good list right there. What is your spiritual gift? And we use that gift so that we, so that you can glorify God. And as we all struggle with some of the big questions sometimes, and this world's got a lot of big questions for us. We fall back, we come together, and we fall back in knowing that God wants us to walk with Him in the daily little things, and those big things will become clear as we wait on Him. We listen to the Holy Spirit. But as I think about that, I also think about how Paul thought he was listening to the Holy Spirit when he first started this missionary journey and God said stop turn this way because the gift of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit movement the call of the Holy Spirit often takes us places we never thought we'd go so be ready for that as well it's not always predictable and he will not cause problems in your past but he will not waste those either so if you've got a great past or you've got a very problematic past, he's going to use that as well. Because God will be glorified. And as we do day by day, I like, I, I like to think about this. God likes to turn the ordinary to the extraordinary. The extraordinary. Because we walk with him day by day, and he says, I'm going to turn it into something powerful. And when we build our life on obedience and in our specific calling, our specific calling comes into focus. And it starts by coming to Jesus and being faithful in the little things. And we wait for direction and we fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ who will speak love into your life. Father God, I praise you today, Lord. I ask that you speak to our hearts. Lord, I ask that you lift us up.
and guide us, Holy Spirit. Help us to be aware of your, your, your guidance. Help us to hear you. When you say go, let us go. When you say stop and settle, let us settle. We don't have a pillar of smoke by uh, day and a flame by night. Let us see you as our flame. As we be faithful in the little things, put perspective on the big things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we think about our next steps, our invitation, praise team, why don't you come on up.